All right, so today we're going to talk about the Antichrist. This is probably one of the most um, discussed and debated topics in all of Christianity, one of them at least. You know, who is the Antichrist? What's his purpose? What does he do? Uh, what does it mean for us today? We're going to try to answer all of those briefly here tonight. Uh, and then, like I said, we'll have some discussion outside. But the first thing I, got, I want you guys to think about with the Antichrist is if you go to the Bible, you're going to hear Antichrist mentioned a lot, not just in Revelation, okay? Um, and, the, and the word Antichrist kind of has two different meanings, okay? The first one is basically just anybody that is opposing Christ. Somebody that's coming out saying, like, you should follow me rather than Christ, and you should worship me over, over, over Jesus. So there's a lot of people in history that are like, quote-unquote, Antichrist. Then in Revelation, you have the Antichrist, and that Antichrist is the one that ushers in the judgment and ends up kind of rolling through the end times in Revelation. So that Antichrist that's told about in Revelation is not the same Antichrist you hear all throughout Scripture in certain parts. Does that make sense? So as you're reading Scripture and studying Scripture, just keep that in mind. When you see the word Antichrist, it doesn't always mean the one in Revelation. It could just simply mean somebody that opposes God and tries to be God themselves. Okay. So um, important thing here is the true, well, I would say true, but like the main Antichrist that we have people talk about in Revelation. It actually says in 1 John 4, 3, something kind of interesting here. Um, well, I'm sorry, 1 John 4, 3 is where it, it, it um, confirms the idea that there are multiple Antichrists and there's one big Antichrist. But in uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, 6 through 10, it says this right here. I want you guys to pay attention to the words here, and I'll explain it. It says, and you know what restrains him now, so that in his time, he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then that lawlessness one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth to bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. So what it's saying there is that the Antichrist right now is being restrained by God. That's a weird thought. So a lot of people question like why is the Antichrist not just rise up now and take over? Why does he only take over in the tribulation period as God says? Because you think about this, God still has the power and authority over the devil, over the Antichrist, over the demons. And you think about the Bible, that when the demons hear the name of Jesus, they shudder. And so they, they know that God is over them. They can't do anything without God allowing them to do that. And so even if the Antichrist wanted to come back today and take over, he couldn't until God gives him permission. And that's what we're going to see here in Revelation. You said that. Well, well come, come to earth. I'm sorry. Yeah, come to earth. Let's get, maybe set that. Revelation 6 is actually where God gives the Antichrist permission and freedom to come to earth. Um, that's what we're going to see in Revelation. That's actually what the first seal is. It's the Antichrist coming to earth. And that basically ushers in these seven judgments on the earth uh, before the final day of tribulation. And so he only comes into power when God releases him. And I want you guys to think about that. Why would God do that? If, if God's over Satan, over the Antichrist, over the demons, why would God not just forever hold them in hell? Why 
God, he eventually released the Antichrist to actually come to earth, knowing how bad it's going to be. And here's, here's what I thought about, and this is some research on is the people in the tribulation period, most of them, all those that are there are not going to be God-following people, okay? They're probably going to be people there all living for themselves or worshiping other gods or idols or whatever they look like in that time. And so these people for probably tens to maybe hundreds of years have, you know, pushed to say, we want to be our own God. We, we, don't, we don't need God. We want something else. And so in the final judgment, God gives them what they want, quote unquote, what they want. And so they can also understand how wrong they were, um, how much worse this is than following God. Because think about this. There's a lot of people today that, you know, vote in presidents and vice presidents and senators and mayors. You know, like, how in the world can people vote for that person? It's because at the time, people were like, man, we want, we want that. We want this radical idea. We want this idea, this idea. And then once they get it, they're like, oh, crap, this is a really bad decision. Like, we shouldn't have done this. But sometimes it takes going through it and getting what you think you want to realize that God's, God's plan and God's way is much higher and much greater. And um, so if you go into this, who is the Antichrist then? Who's this person being restrained until God releases him in Revelation? Uh, what does he look like? One thing that's important to know about the Antichrist is nobody knows what he looks like. I mean, obviously God does, and, and, and those in heaven with him, but none of us here on earth know what he looks like. So is because, in heaven waiting? Because, well, uh, we'll get to that. So, um, in Revelation, it doesn't actually say, like, if he's black, white, Hispanic, if he even looks like we look like today. We don't know. So we don't know. We don't know what country he comes from. So there's a lot of speculation out there, guys. And there's a lot of people that are going to say, I think the Antichrist is this person or this person. They even do that all throughout history. Okay, people thought Nero was, was the Antichrist. People thought Hitler was the Antichrist. People say that Donald Trump and Biden were the Antichrist. I mean, it's some crazy stuff. People, people have said the Pope's for years of the Antichrist. And people are going to say that kind of stuff until eventually the Antichrist comes. But the reality is none of us know who the Antichrist is, and we're not going to know until that person comes into power. It's probably not going to be somebody that's well known right now. Um, so let me read off to you guys in Revelation 6, kind of the first mention of the Antichrist, and we'll dive into that. It says, starting in verse 1, Now I saw when the Lamb, which is Jesus, opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. I should have done that way better. Uh, and yeah. behold, a white horse. And then it says, He's, He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering to conquer. So, so if you don't know the that's mentioned the Antichrist, it's kind of easy to skip over that. The white horse um, is actually the first kind of judgment, and it's actually not Jesus, it's the Antichrist. Because think about this. People kind of can mix that up pretty easily. But in this instance, think about what it says. The lamb opens the scroll. The lamb is Jesus. So he opens the scroll, and the, the creature, uh, one of the creatures reads off the scroll, and this white horse of this rider comes up onto the scene. So that's not Jesus. It's somebody else. 
And what it means here is the sword means that he's going to come and bring destruction. He's coming to bring war into the world. But he comes on a white horse because a white horse back in that time basically symbolizes peace and purity, things like that. So as he comes to earth, people are going to first look at this person and think, that, oh, he's going to offer peace and hope to us. But in reality, he's actually coming to bring the sword, to bring war and division and destruction. And then the crown on his head, the reason he has a crown on his head is because at this point in history is when God has given him the power to go and take over the world for a time, okay, for a season. So I want you guys to think about that. And then I also want you guys to think about this. One day the Antichrist will be revealed on earth when this time happens. In 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 through 4, it tells us how we're going to recognize the Antichrist during this tribulation period. And it says here, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and he will exalt himself over everything that is called God or that is worship. So that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Um, so he comes in and he promotes peace first. Okay? And you got to think about world leaders today, Hitler, Stalin, you know, they don't always necessarily promote peace, but typically their first kind of campaign is about bringing power to the people or, or bringing peace or hope or wealth or something to the people. And if you're thinking about this, if, if the tribulation period has started, people are hopeless right now. The world's in total chaos. It says lawlessness abounds. So there's sin everywhere. And even though people, people enjoy kind of living in sin for a time, no matter if you're a Christian or not, when you start living in sin, eventually it leads to what? Depression and anxiety, regret, shame. So the world is filled with all of this stuff right now. And so somebody, some leader is going to rise up in the midst of this and offer a hope, a peace to these people, you know, power and restoration, say, I'm the answer, I'm the God you're looking for. And if you just follow me, you're going to be happy again and joyful, and I'm going to give you all the things that this world can't offer you. And so that's what he's going to promise. He's going to get a lot of people on board. And then once he gets the people on board, self-exhaustion will start to happen, even throughout this process. What, I said exhaustion, yeah. Exaltation, yeah. Exaltation, which means that basically he's going to start promoting himself or everything else. And you see this a lot of times in communist countries, how when leader gets into power, all of a sudden it's all about them and their ideas and most of the time, like, major cults and things, this is what happens. So eventually, he's going to be all about himself and his ideas. He's going to start pushing things that seem very radical and maybe aren't necessarily good. But at this point, he's already got the buy-in from the people. So they're going to just kind of go along with it and follow along with it. But what's going to happen is, over time, it's going to lead to the biggest war ever in history, basically. And this war is going to just wipe out, basically, the entire world. So what's interesting there is that the Antichrist comes in and he promises peace, but at the end of his reign, there's death and war. Kind of interesting, though, the contrary there. I want you guys to think about this. It also says here in the Bible that he may uh, potentially, if you read through the Bible, 
you can kind of get that he may potentially show signs and wonders. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of false prophets do that in the Bible. Basically, they they do like really cool acts and things, and they, they do some really neat things. He's probably well-spoken. He'll probably have many gifts and talents and abilities. And so he's going to do things to kind of win people over. And even as he starts putting in this really bad stuff, he'll probably give some good speeches in between and maybe issue some good things here and there just to kind of keep the people engaged, keep them locked in. And that's, again, kind of what the evil rulers do. They keep people engaged and locked in because when you have to buy into people, you can begin to do kind of anything. Um, he also, this is what's interesting. He's only got a range of 42 months. That's a weird number, 42 months, but it actually says in the Bible. In Revelation 13, which I feel like we'll get to more of the Antichrist later on, in Revelation 13, 5 through 8, it says, the beast was given, which is the Antichrist, a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies, and to exercise his authority for 42 months, which ends up equaling, I did math, three and a half years. So he's going to rule the earth for three and a half years, basically a term of a president here in the United States, a little bit shorter. Um, and it says here, he opened his mouth to blasphemy God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and all those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. Now I want you guys to catch this part. It says all inhabitants of the earth will worship this beast. All those whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. So it, it says here, pretty much everybody is going to be worshiping this beast that's on earth, this, this terrible person, because he's given this power, God's released that to him, and let him have this power and this authority, and he's going to have it for three and a half years. So there's going to be some pretty dedicated followers by the time this, this gets to the end. And eventually when he gets to the battle of Armageddon, um, this army is going to be massive. It's going to be killing, trying to kill those that are, you know, worshiping God and trying to live for him. And now I want you guys to catch the last part here too before you get to the number. Um, it says in Daniel 7, 8, Daniel also represents the end times quite a bit. So that's a good book to also go back and reference. Daniel 7, 8 says, I consider the horns and behold, there came along them another horn, a little one, before which the three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this form were eyes, like the eyes of a man, and the mouth speaking great things. And that's a weird imagery there in Daniel, but he's actually representing Daniel, the main Antichrist, in Revelation. And he talks about how he has all these horns on his head, and all of a sudden, these three horns are plucked out, and this one little horn rises up out of his head, and has eyes like a man all around it. Which is interesting, because you have the eyes kind of like in on the beast here in Revelation. Uh, well, it's, this is kind of imagery. It's probably not actually how, the, how he looks. It's just like, this is like an imagery. And so it, it symbolizes it symbolizes this. These thorns in Daniel actually have crowns on each of the thorns. Now, if you look back in Revelation, what's the writer wearing? A crown on his head. And it says here, Daniel lists ten, ten horns later in the passage. In other words, the Antichrist, what it means is that he's going to rule over a great deal of land. We hear the phrase, one world order, a one world government, tossed around a lot in Christian circles. This essentially means that the Antichrist will falsely unite the nations under this 
I mean, this false peace that he gives. However, he'll eventually wage war against the Christians. And so he's kind of called the United Nations and have one kind of government, which a lot of people talk about today in today's time. Because you think about this, if he's just ruling one nation, and he might have a million people in that nation following him, millions of people, but there's a whole lot of other nations out there too. He's not going to have the kind of control that he wants. If he has all the nations coming together and he has one massive nation and they're all worshiping this guy, all of a sudden it becomes an almost unstoppable force until God comes in and intervenes. So think about that. So this is kind of the, the ultimate, after three and a half years, this, this, this one world government will probably form sometime in there. In that one world government is when you get what they call the mark of the beast. Okay? The mark of the beast. How many of you guys have heard of that before? Quite a bit. Okay, so again, the Antichrist is referred to as the beast. And the mark of the beast is some kind of mark you're going to get. And again, nobody really knows what this mark looks like. Could be, it, could, it, it could be a tattoo. It could be a microchip. It could be something totally different, okay? So all these speculations you have today, be very cautious of that. Because again, nobody really knows what it's going to look like. We can guess and speculate, but it could be something totally different. But there's some kind of mark that's going to come. Most people signify that somewhere it's going to have the number 666. Now, why would that be? Why is that the number? I want you guys to get it. It is, and, and, and so I, as I was diving into that, I was thinking, why is it considered the devil's number? Like, what's, why is that number a bad number? And uh, here's what, here's why. The number seven in the Bible is, is holy, basically, uh, and, and it, it, it equals God, you know. Number seven is, is God, okay? Number six in the Bible, if you go through history, the number six was used to define man. So number six in the Bible equals man. And I want you guys to think about this. In the order there, six is always just behind seven. So in, in the Bible, what it's basically signifying there is that Satan's always trying to get to this level but he's going to fall just short. I am now Armageddon. He's going to really try to get all these people to follow him for all eternity and stuff and be the one that takes over and be the God of the universe. But then God's going to come back and say, no, I'm actually the, I'm actually the one in charge. Jesus comes back, destroys Satan for all eternity. So six always falls just short of seven. And um, what's also interesting is 666, there's three numbers. There's three sixes in that. The Trinity also is three. You have the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So it's almost like the devil is trying to be his own triune person, but again, he always falls just short of making that mark. So it's kind of interesting to think about there um, when you put that together. Um, I'll also put here, uh, the Bible often uses the number seven to refer to God and his perfection. Traditionally, six is thought to be the number of man created on because why? Oh, listen to this. I forgot about this. Why is six the number of man? 
Because if you go back to Genesis, what do you think about this? This is now Genesis Revelation. If you go back to Genesis, the number six, man was created on the sixth day. And what happened on day seven? God rested. The day is called holy, basically. Um, so, it, it basically, the Bible takes you from Genesis all the way to Revelation now, and this mark of the beast comes in and says, all this thousands of years ago, you fell short then, and you're going to fall short now. Um, and it's kind of interesting to think about. Um, it, says, it also says here, the beast, the Antichrist, and his trinity of sixes, ultimately failed his effort to defeat God. So I want you guys to just kind of think about this here in our life today. What does this mean for us? This should encourage you seeing these kind of things, these patterns in the Bible, to see how God's hand is from creation all the way to Revelation. And although this Antichrist, this beast, can seem scary and powerful and that kind of deal, you know, ultimately he can't do anything until God releases him. And ultimately, until... Um, and until God comes back, you know, people are going to think that he's this great leader, this God kind of figure. But once God comes back, he stands no chance at all. And he's always going to fall short. So make sure you think about in your own life today, who do you put your trust in? Who do you put your faith in? Do you put your faith in man that's always going to fall short? Or do you put your faith in God who created man and this only one that's truly perfect and it's going to last for all eternity in a perfection place. So let me go ahead and pause the video and we'll have some good old discussion time.